0: Hello and welcome to Bardcast, the Shakespeare podcast. I'm Carson. And I'm Jeff. And today's episode is about Anonymous. That's the film Anonymous, not our commentator Anonymous. He, he does leave an lot, awful lot of posts on our blog, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that Anonymous guy is very prodigious, although he did not write the works of Shakespeare. So this is just going to be a quick episode because we've already talked about the essential claims of this movie, which is that William Shakespeare did not write the plays that are now attributed to William Shakespeare. Mostly we're just upset by the movie and feel the need to point out how upset we are. Right, so why are we doing this episode at all if we've already answered these questions? Because we're lazy. <laughs> one, I think that this movie really shows how ridiculous the people that say that Shakespeare isn't Shakespeare are, just the crazy things that it says. That shows something about who they are and, and how they work. Two, if someone makes a claim and no one says anything to counteract it, people just kind of naturally assume that it must be true. It's in, like yeah. in debate, if you have an unanswered claim, then it's conce- you're conceding the point. So we're just not conceding the point. And just so everyone knows from the start, this movie does not make any new arguments for why Shakespeare wasn't Shakespeare. It kind of takes that as a given and then moves from there to say... Into wild, crazy new territory. Right. It just makes a bunch of new conclusions given their premise, which is wrong. New insane conclusions. Which we're going into now. Yes. So the, the primary thing is that they hold that Edward de Vere wrote the plays of that we now call William Shakespeare's and you know that's uh, been a common theory for a while right so this particular version of this theory says that he would be embarrassed to be known as a playwright we can go into that in some other time but basically this fear shouldn't have actually existed right the idea is that Devere used Ben Jonson as some sort of a person to, repre- to be the supposed author. Right, because Ben Jonson didn't have enough on his plate or anything. Right, and when this play was performed, everyone liked it, and William Shakespeare just stood up and took the credit for it. Because William Shakespeare? Thief. Right, apparently just through the force of his will alone, he convinced everyone that he did it. And for some reason, Ben Jonson didn't stand up and shout, No, I'm the playwright! He- right. This is one of the obvious problems. Another claim that the movie made... uh, (laughs) Is that uh, Shakespeare murdered Christopher Marlowe five years after Christopher Marlowe died. Right. I'm kind of willing to excuse the date thing. Like, sometimes movies need to move dates around to make things make sense. But William Shakespeare did not murder Christopher Marlowe. It's just silly. Like, ridiculously silly. Christopher Marlowe's death is one of the most well-documented deaths in Shakespeare's time. Yeah. He was a a famous playwright, and he got murdered in front of a room full of witnesses. (laughs) It specifically says who murdered him and how. Mm -hmm. And this movie just says, no, William Shakespeare did it because Christopher Marlowe was finding out about his secret. I think William Shakespeare would have had to kill a lot of people if he had to kill everyone that suspected him of writing a play. If, as this says, William Shakespeare is this illiterate actor who never spends any time writing. Surely anyone who knew him would have said, why don't you write any of these plays if you wrote any of these plays? Yeah, it's just, it's like every claim they make is, is just built on the premise of making Shakespeare look bad. Yeah. It's not enough that they have to steal his plays, but they have to turn him into the worst criminal in history. Yeah, the motto of the, the movie, sort of, is, is William Shakespeare a fraud? Not is he misattributed or something like that. Is he willingly a fraud? Like, part of the mo- campaign of the movie is to make out William Shakespeare personally to be a bad person for some reason. I guess because they don't like him because he took away their thing. I don't know. Another crazy claim is that Edward de Vere wrote The Midsummer Night's Dream at the age of nine. Then that's ridiculous for, like, nine different reasons. Right. Throughout the works of Shakespeare, we have sort of a feel of how his work grows. Mm -hmm. His first plays kind of have an immaturity, and they're written alongside someone else like Henry VI. And his later plays... Develop maturity and artistry, yeah. and *Midsummer Night's Dream* as we currently date it fits very well into that. But the idea that a nine-year-old wrote it is absurd. Mm-hmm. Even the greatest prodigy ever known doesn't write a masterwork at nine. And I mean, they do say he wrote it originally at nine and then edited it. Sure. Later on, but but this is one of the best plays of all time. There's just no way. Yeah. Uh, then there's the ridiculous claim that he is the uh, illegitimate son of Elizabeth I. Right. I think this idea is that... Edward de Vere fans say that Edward de Vere is Hamlet, because Hamlet and Edward de Vere have similar lives. But then they go the step further to say, well, if he's Hamlet, then he must be the son of a queen, because Hamlet was a prince. Mm-hmm. So he must be a prince. It's this ridiculous circular logic where he's like Hamlet because we made him be like Hamlet, because he is Hamlet. And then not only that, when Edward de Vere grows up, illegitimate son of the queen, adopted into another household, he then sleeps with the queen. Same queen father's a child on her, and just, this is all despite the fact that no one ever knows that Elizabeth I had any children. Right. At all. I mean, she was pretty well known for not having children. Yeah. Those are just the outrageous claims. There are a lot of little details that are wrong. There is, I mean, there's one other just big kind of thing, because at, at the end of the movie, they basically have the play Richard the third being used to help inspire a revolution against oh, Elizabeth yeah. The first. Yeah. yeah. It is wrong for two reasons. One, well, it was Richard II that was used to inspire a revolution against Elizabeth I. Those, these little details really annoy me. I, I mean... Why don't they just get it right? It's and so they put, easy. It set, it's, again, they set the revolution several years after it supposedly happened. Yeah. Everything's, all the dates in the movie seem to be wrong from what I've read. I mean, the one point I will give them is that Roland Emmerich says he was trying to tell a story and not make a political point. Which I think is his justification for saying, of course, it's all fake. I mean, everyone can see that some of this is ridiculous. Right, I'm willing to accept that the, he had to change the dates around. That's fine. That's yeah. just how an editing a movie works. But just stupid details like Richard the Third and Richard the Second. It's just... Bob, because, it's just noise well, man. Americans haven't heard of Richard II. That's probably why. That's if probably you remember why. that commentator on one of our first podcasts who said, It's Richard III, not Richard II, you stupid. Yeah. yeah that was great. <laughs> oh, okay. man. So we're not going to list every single error they made in the movie. We'll, we'll maybe link it, the list. Sure, you can look anywhere online. Like, Wikipedia has a list of errors. We're going to be generous and just assume that it's for the sake of Art. making the movie flow. Well... I can't comment on how good the movie is, uh, but the reviews I've read say it's not great, right. but not terrible. Even if we had wanted to go to the movie, I think it was in theaters for two weeks. so Yeah, it did not make a lot of money. Yeah, the opportunity wasn't available to us, really. So, let's just talk about the name of the movie, Anonymous. Anonymous. Yeah. Uh, it, th- What's going on? They're crazy! The, the works of Shakespeare are not anonymous. At no point are they... Like, no one signed them anonymous. Most of them are somehow attributed to him. Right. Now, the first few plays of William Shakespeare are anonymous in the sense that they were published without a name attached to them because Shakespeare was not a household name. Right. When Venus and Adonis and The Rape of Lucrece came out in poetry, they bore the name William Shakespeare, how in the world William Shakespeare, a drunken actor, is supposed to get his name... Illiterate drunken actor. Right, is supposed to smuggle his name into a thing of poems that is written by a noble and printed by a different guy that also, it doesn't make any sense. And it wouldn't even be, you know, shameful for uh, a noble to be writing a, po- a poetry. Maybe playwrights are terrible, but po- everyone writes poetry, yeah. Yeah, everyone in this time wrote poetry, and this is the first big thing that we see with William Shakespeare's name. The timeline just doesn't make sense. But anyway, also a great deal of the plays are published with William Shakespeare's name. There's no reason they couldn't have been published with someone else's name, except for the fact that William Shakespeare wrote them. Pretty much. Like I said, most plays were published anonymously back then. They didn't have a name attached to them. W- the simplest thing to do if you didn't want a name attached to your play is just not attach a name to the play. Because you're, you're a playwright, you're not expecting to make a lot of money on these things. Yeah, a playwright actually sells his plays to the theater company, who then publishes them for the cash. So, like, William Shakespeare didn't control how his plays were published. Until he bought his own theater. Right, yeah, he, then he r- had some of it control as part of the owner of the theater, not as the writer of the plays. Right. What we have here is a failure to properly follow the methods of scholarship. Scholars have a system, and... We've talked about the double standard before in the Shakespeare authorship question episode. Basically, these anti-Stratfordians say anything that makes Shakespeare look bad is legitimate. Even if it's just a wacky theory, it's fine. Anything that makes Shakespeare look good is illegitimate, like his name on a bunch of things. Those are all just an elaborate conspiracy. That anything Mm -hmm. that makes Devere look good, like he, for a period of time, sponsored a children's acting company, is evidence that he must have been deeply ensconced in the playwriting community. Right. Anything that makes him look like not a playwright, like how all of his letters are about how he wants to get a monopoly on the mining industry of some town in England, are just irrelevant. And Again, it's harder to criticize this because according to Roland Emmerich, at least, meant to be a fictional film. Right. Though, according to the lead actor, everything in it is true. Yeah, there have been competing comments about how accurate this is supposed to be. I think one of the funny things is, they they, they hold up Edward Devere as this awesome guy who couldn't possibly have his name besmirched by the idea of being a playwright. Did no one tell him that he was commonly thought of as a murderer? As a pederast? Just... He had a reputation as being a horrible person, but Mm -hmm. the idea that he couldn't possibly be considered a playwright. Anyway, so what we're talking about here, this double standard leads to these ridiculous ideas. When you take anything that makes you feel good as true and anything that makes you feel bad as false, you end up with ridiculous stuff like Edward de Vere fathering a child on his own mother. You end up with uh, William Shakespeare murdering Christopher Marlowe because it looks bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not much else to say, really. I mean... Yeah. All of these details about de Vere's supposed life are whole cloth fabricated. Mm-hmm. Any- there's no evidence whatsoever about yeah. him to indicate he's the son of a queen or fathered a son on a queen. Yeah, or that he wrote a play when he was nine. It's just crazy. And yes, we didn't see the movie, those people of you that are going to point out that we're being hypocrites or but liars But again, we haven't actually said the movie is a bad movie. Right, we're not criticizing the movie itself. We're, we're just criticizing, criticizing the messages. The claims of the movie. And the, the horrible, horror, er, horrible errors it made. Right. The factual claims are wrong. Apparently the movie was bad because it got bad reviews. Yeah, didn't and, make much money. And it didn't last in the theaters, but we can't say for a certitude that it's bad. We might have gone, but we wouldn't have wanted to ruin everyone else's experiences by shouting at the screen through the entire movie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Blast you, Roland Emmerich! Yeah. Basically, to reiterate, factual claims are essentially all wrong. Even the stuff that they didn't have to get wrong, like Richard II, Richard III, right? It was like it was just made wrong so we would understand the movie a little bit better, or supposedly. just to make it less factual, which <laughs> seems to be the real goal of the movie—just to not get anything correct at all. So this is just a quick one just to let you guys know we thought about Anonymous and to make sure that we're still alive on this side. We're still going. And if you do, for some reason, feel compelled to purchase the movie Anonymous at some point, do it through Amazon through our website. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there you go. I'm not going to link it because I have more dignity than that. And it's not out on DVD yet anyways. Yeah. Anyway, I keep on meaning to get the comments from you guys online into the podcast, because you guys tell us a lot of stuff and I keep forgetting to talk about it, so I've added a section at the end called Listener Contributions. First of all, if you give us a donation on PayPal, please check if there's some way to leave a comment or something like that, because the idea is you can vote for an episode, and if you can't leave a comment, then you'll need to email us at shakespearepodcast.com. At gmail.com. So in terms of listeners, we got a lot of comments through email and the blog saying that they don't like Dogberry. Because Dogberry is terrible. I was right. <laughs> I am vindicated. Right. They don't specifically dislike Dogberry, the pl- character in the play. They dislike every performance of Dogberry they've ever seen. And, and to be fair, most people have probably only seen the movie version. Right. I, I've heard people say they don't like the movie version. I've heard people say that they've seen multiple versions, and they don't like any of them. I've heard people say they saw one version in a play and they didn't like it. Never have I heard anyone say that they actually liked a version of Dogberry from, from Much Ado About Nothing. So let us know... If you've seen a dogberry you like, or if you also dislike all dogberries, at the blog, bardcast.blogspot.com. Maybe we could set up a poll. Oh, there's an idea. Yeah. Uh, So, on related news, apparently Joss Whedon was hanging out at his house one day and decided, you know what? I've been meaning to make much ado about nothing for a while. This is Joss Whedon, the creator of Firefly. Yes, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. And so he invited over a bunch of his actor friends, and over the course of two weeks made a movie. Yep and apparently Nathan Fillion, for those of you who know who that is, is going to be playing Dogberry. Right, so maybe we'll have a good Dogberry. Yeah. For those of you who don't know who that is, he's awesome. Yeah, Nathan Fillion's a lot of fun. Yeah, Uh, he's in Firefly and Castle. Buy those through Amazon, through our website. (laughs) Shameless, shameless, we are shameless. Uh, Dr. Horrible sing-along blog. Okay, so from the voting on the blog... Uh, We've got a next episode section on the blog where I take the votes that people send through email or uh, through comments on the blog. Uh, It looks like the next episode is about Antony and Cleopatra. Ooh, we haven't done a history in a while. Going all the way back to ancient Roman times. Although, isn't Antony and Cleopatra like a sequel to Julius Caesar? Not really. They're right next to each other chronologically, but they're not really related. Not really. Okay. Technically, it happens right after Julius Caesar. So it's, i mean, it, it but feels you like you don't we... need to know anything from the previous. Okay. It just side. feels like we should should do Julius Caesar first, but that's uh... well. There's a little bit of time if you guys want to. If you guys desperately want us to do Julius Caesar instead of Antony and Cleopatra, we'll take a look at it. They are both good plays. Yeah. Um. If you have a favorite performance of Antony and Cleopatra, let us know. I know that there's um, an Olivier version. I know that Kate Mulgrew is doing a theater version. I don't know if that got recorded. That would be cool to see. Who? Kate Mulgrew, Captain of the Starship Voyager. Catherine Janeway, Voyager, Star Trek. Yeah, I never watched Voyager. You actually lucked out on that one. I know. Okay. So tune in in about five minutes for our Star Trek podcast, where we'll discuss (laughs) the merits of Captain Janeway. (laughs) Yeah, so next episode, Antony and Cleopatra. Please go to our website, bardcast.blogspot.com, and leave comments about all the stuff we just talked about, or anything that you're interested in. Yep. Or what you would like to see for a next episode. Also you can leave us an email at shakespearepodcast at gmail.com. And we'll write that on the website as well, in case you forgot how to spell Shakespeare. Yeah, you, it's in the Contact Us section of the website. We're getting fancier and fancier. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening. I'm Carson. And I'm Jeff. And we'll see you next time.